it was therapeutic driving the scooter along at such a slow pace that you don't have to pay any attention to the road at all. And you can take in all the scenery. Episode 325, a holiday flashback with Robert Sheeran. A 50cc scooter ride 4,600 miles from Vail, Colorado to Anchorage, Alaska. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is sponsored by Action Heat. Action Heat makes the world's best heated clothing. Powered by rechargeable batteries, it's the perfect way to stay warm. Save 15% off your order when you go to action-heat.com slash adventure. That's action-heat.com slash adventure. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. On the line with me today is Robert Sharon. Uh, I found Robert on Facebook, and he was actually, um, I think he was a friend of a friend's, is the way I came across you, Robert. And I thought your story was really cool. Um, Robert had overcome some uh, some issues with addiction, with uh, drug and alcohol addiction, and he wanted to give back to society. So what he did was he came up with this uh, grand scheme of riding a 50cc scooter from Vail, Colorado, all the way up to Anchorage, Alaska, which is a 4,600 mile tour. So we're going to go into who Robert is and what made him decide to take on such a, such a crazy little adventure. So first of all, Robert, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. So let's uh, dive into a little bit who of who you are, where you're from, uh, kind of where do you come from? Give us a feel for who Robert Sheeran is. I come from uh, born and raised in a town just outside Vail, Colorado, and so grew up in the mountains, skiing my whole life. I am the oldest of four kids with two amazing parents and uh, three pretty awesome siblings as well. And grew up up there. Um, life was full of, like, my backyard was a mountain. So I was always just exploring with uh, my siblings and friends, building tree forts uh, and do, getting into other shenanigans in the woods. And that was <laughs> a big part of growing up. And then hanging out. Um, then I college was down in Boulder where um, enjoyed that scene, always making sure to stay close to the mountains and skiing um, was always a massive part of my life. And so that's where I grew up in Avon is where I grew up. Yeah. So Avon, just west of, of Vail, Colorado. I just dro- drove through there yesterday, as a matter of fact. Nice. It's, uh, looking nice up there as usual. Was it snowing? I Not hope. in Avon. It was snowing on the other side <laughs> okay. uh, by Copper and uh, Silverthorn, but there was it was dry in Avon. Nice. Okay. All right. So you grew up there. You had a bit of a, an adventurous background, I take it. Um, so then you ended up in uh, in school down at University of Colorado in Boulder. Um, let's get into what it was that uh, that kind of changed your life and and what you ended up getting into that made you decide to take a a little scooter that far. I mean, most people don't do that. So let's, uh, let's go into that story. <laughs> yeah. So, well, a big part of the trip and the whole reasoning behind it is sobriety. Right. Um, and not necessarily the motivation, but it came out of me um, getting sober. And so I'll start with back up to Vail, um, where I event, I first started 
drinking and partying, um, other drugs and whatnot. Um, in high school, nothing crazy at first. It was just me and my friends getting drunk, getting, drinking Budweiser's, having a good time. And, um, you know, for me, um, I would say definitely the adventurous type and an adrenaline junkie at heart. Um, but what really it was, was me drinking and uh, getting high to change the way I felt. And um, that worked, you know, I became the person that I kind of always wanted to be, you know, I was able to talk and to people, to girls or whatever the case may be. It just made me feel more comfortable and um, changed the way I felt um, drinking and getting high did. And it was fine in high school, kind of, um, when I say kind of like, I got in trouble stealing was a big part of my story as well, stealing liquor and um, ran into some trouble with the law. And, um, you know, most of my friends that all, I didn't get in trouble alone. I got in trouble with uh, four of my best friends. And, you know, those four kind of seemed to get it. Like, we're in trouble. We should chill out and yeah. not. Might, might like, recognize something here. Yeah, yeah. And, um you know, I was full throttle from there. You know, they would, you know, when your best friends that you're you're stealing with, they look at you and they're like, yo, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, maybe. And I'm just like, oh, I thought it was just part of the crew, you know. And, um, and yeah, I became kind of known for like crazy Rob pulling these different types of shenanigans here and there. And um, that just moved. I st- Stayed out of trouble for the remainder of high school after we got caught stealing. But um, once I got to college, it was like game on. You know, I wasn't living under mom and dad's roof anymore. There, and um, the first week of college in Boulder. Boulder's a pretty big party school. Um, and the first week, I woke up in detox after um, just going out to party with my friends one night. And... Um, Nothing crazy happened. Um, just the police uh, brought me home or brought me to detox, dropped me off, and I, I blacked out. So I don't really remember exactly um, how I got there. But I, re- I do remember the next morning waking up and calling my dad. Um, some tears, pretty upset. And one thing I do remember was promising him that this would not happen again. And... <laughs> The next weekend, I was back in the drunk tank, um, and it was just from another night going out, Friday night, blacking out, and um, getting picked up by the cops. Like, I wasn't causing any trouble. I was just drunk, stumbling, walking home back to the dorms, and they picked me up. And um, so I had to stay clean for the remainder of the year because Boulder had a strict policy of three strikes and you're out okay. at University of Colorado. And um, I tried my hardest to control my drinking. And what that looked like was anything from only drinking beer to um, carrying a Sharpie around and marking on my hand how many drinks I had to picking a drinking buddy to say, Hey, we're, I'm only drinking when you drink, you know? And um that kind of worked for a little bit, but eventually um, 
I I just went back to the way I wanted to drink and it got me in trouble for a third time. And that was, that was a big one for me. Um, I, I, I remember it was like finals week, spring semester. I just had finished my final. I had one more to go and it was Saturday night and I had a couple days in between the tests and I went out with my friends and I wrote, well, for me, I, I said I was only going to have two beers, and I did, but those two beers were 40 ounces. And, oh, um, <laughs> yeah, so, like, telling my dad the story, like, after I had gotten in trouble, I was like, I only had two beers. And then it came out that they were 40s, and that wasn't, um, that made, made a lot more sense. So I had the two beers and um, ended up going to grab pizza with some friends and, uh got in a fight in the parking lot of Cosmos Pizza on the hill in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> Many people do. Late night pizza place. There is a decent crowd. And, um, you know, I'm sure I said something smart to the wrong person and um, got jumped by three guys and was kind of wrestling around in the parking lot. And the police showed up and I knew I couldn't get in any more trouble. Three strikes, you're out. So I, I took off running. I dodged one cop, juked him out, and he kind of fell to the ground. And he popped back up and shot me with a taser. And from there, it was kind of game over. I fell in the middle of Broadway and was carried off in a gurney on a stretcher. And Dang, that's a serious. Yeah, it was. <laughs> this is what it looked like. Not all the times when I partied, but... I would have like some bad luck is what I attributed it to forever. Bad luck and a lot of blame on the Boulder police, but I could never accept responsibility. Yeah. But as I was getting loaded into the ambulance, all my friends that went to get pizza were like just alongside of Cosmos like, watching this happen. And I made eye contact with every one of them while I was on the stretcher and I was thinking like something has to change something has to change and the next day I woke up in jail and um I begged the my parents at this time were kind of fed up with me calling from these institutions and they weren't so willing to just bail me out this time and I was able to talk to the police and convince them to let me out because um, my parents wouldn't pay bail and I had one more final to go and the cop did and the jail in Boulder is quite a few miles from campus where I needed to walk back to so I had a long time to walk back and think like Belmont and whatever back to College in was the dorm I was walking to. And I had made my mind up on this long walk back that I was going to change my life and things were going to start to be different. And all my problems, I could attribute them to drinking and using drugs. Um, and I was, you know, I had, I made that 5, 10, 20 year plan was made right then and there. Like, I'm, I need to stop doing this. And I got back to the dorm and, well, in Colorado, weed is, it's legal now, but it was always huge. And I got back and my friends, wait, 
you know, they were hanging out and I rolled a spliff with them and got high right then after I had (laughs) just told myself I'm changing my life because that's the only way I knew how to deal with these uncomfortable feelings, the way I, I dreaded feeling the way I felt that day. And that anxiety, that depression, that, that didn't necessarily like all come from drinking. And on those crazy nights after I did something, I was full of regret. Like those feelings came on a regular basis. And the only way I knew how to deal with those was with drugs and alcohol. So I didn't really look at it as though I had I was never an alcoholic or I was never a drug addict in my mind because my definition classified a drug addict and alcoholic is someone who uses drugs every single day or drinks every day and most likely wears a trench coat and lives underneath a bridge and is homeless. Um, that's just the way I thought of it. And, you know, I wish I could tell you like at age um, 20, I had figured it out. That's how old I was then but I hadn't. And, um, I drank for four more years and partied for four more years. So now you kind of have a little background of what it looked like for me partying. And, um, uh, fast forward to age 24 and I was starting my seventh year of college at the university of Colorado. And, um, I was back in college after getting suspended a few times and, my uh it was I was just kind of realized I went out hard one Thursday night with some friends drank like I usually drink but I at this point I was only drinking tequila I remember and I thought that was I found the magical concoction um and I just ended up blacking out again for and nothing that serious happened you know I kind of ruined a relationship saw the way my friends treated me Um, When I was blacked out drunk um, from that, the new app Snapchat had just came about. So I saw a bunch of Snapchats from the night prior. I was like, oh, no wonder my friends don't respect me because I am kind of a clown and I act that way. And so I decided that, you know, after that next morning, I was like on the phone with my, one of my best friends, Blake. I remember talking to him. I need to change. Something needs to happen. And I was like, I need to quit smoking weed. And he was like, dude, you don't really black out from smoking weed and make a fool of yourself. If you think (laughs) that's your problem, (laughs) maybe you should quit drinking and, and smoking weed. If that's another issue for me, which it was and all the other drugs. And I was like, all right, I'll quit everything until I graduate um, school. And so, I, uh, I stopped um, after that Thursday night, and you know, I, I could stop for four days, and I, I felt terrible, like all the sweating and shaking. And the last night of drinking, I did have this massive cut on my leg that the stitches got ripped open, and I thought that was infected, and that's why I'm shaky and sweaty and can't sleep. So I went to the doctor on campus for a doctor's note to get out of class that I had missed that morning and um I asked her to look at my cut and she said nothing's wrong with your cut she fixed it and she's like is any but you look terrible and some your vitals are all whacked what's going on I told her oh you know I 
had a really hard night of partying on Thursday, and by now it's Tuesday. <laughs> and um, I just told her I'd quit drinking and doing drugs, and I'm, I'm clean now. And I thought it was fixed. And she's like, what she suggested right then and there was I should go to the detox, um, which was basically the drunk tank. Um, and I, in my head, I was like, I can't go there. You know, I've woken up there. Um, I'm not going back. No, thank you. And she was pretty adamant about me going to rehab then. I said no. And she said, well, I can't write you a letter unless you um, get help. And I was furious because I had missed a speech. And I was like, oh, I'm screwed. And so um, I left Wardenburg Health Center on CU's campus, bawling my eyes out, not really knowing what to do. Um, and I decided to go to my boss on campus. And I was a security guard at the time. And I went to her, um, and I was crying, and I just said, you know, I've been told several times by different counselors that I might have a drinking problem. Um, and this time this nurse told me, and I, I kind of believe it, and I need help. I don't know what to do. And I can't come into work today because I'm a wreck. <laughs> and my boss was completely amazing and I worked in the UMC which is the University Memorial Center on camp campus in Boulder and she walked me downstairs in this building I used to work in and she took me to this room that three weeks prior um, it was an empty room on campus in the center and it had transformed into the universe uh, the University of Colorado um, recovery center and it's kind of like she dropped me off at daycare. <laughs> like, here you go. And um, the director of the center was there, and he asked me, what's going on? <laughs> and um, I told him what had been going on the past couple of weeks in my life, and he was like, you should go to rehab. I was like, ah, I, I can't go to rehab, man. I'm in year seven of college, which is already not normal. I just need to, to get it done. And... <laughs> He suggested me um, seeking help out, help out um, through other means, and I was like, you know, I I can't do that either. Like, it's not for people like me. Like, I need people that are my age getting sober or whatever that means. And he told me I could hang out in this recovery center on campus as long as I wasn't getting high before I came in. And so that's what I did. I started hanging out there and meeting other kids that came, that went to see you, that were sober and were kind of living life just like me and going through the same challenges. Because um, a sober college student, in my mind, was an oxymoron. And how am I supposed to have fun if I'm not partying and getting high with my friends? Because that was the only way I knew how to have fun. And... Um, so in this whole process, I, I drove a scooter, like a little Honda Metropolitan 49cc beaten up scooter that my friends, everyone would ride on the back of that thing, man. And, uh, <laughs> there were several arguments, like when I was drinking, like, 
Rob, you're way too drunk to drive that home. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> it's just was, a scooter. It's just a scooter. Nothing can happen. And like some nights I would be like, how did I get home? Like, I hope, hope I, I and walk out the front door thinking I'm going to go and pick my scooter up from the part the house we were at the prior night. <laughs> and it was right there on its side. Oh, and I'm man. like, oh, that's how I got home. <laughs> like, it was a miracle. And so, um, and that was, you know, I lived in the Spanish Towers, I remember, in Boulder on, like, 30th Street and Colorado, like, pretty close to there. And, which is a long way from the bars um, on Pearl Street, if you're driving a scooter and don't remember it. And, um, but so I'm, now I'm getting sober. And, you know, for anybody who's gotten, it's not even about just getting sober, but, like, going through change, right? Anybody who's gone through like an abrupt change in their lives, they, they know what these, the, the feeling, feeling the feelings. And I was really feeling feelings at this time and not knowing what to do with them. Um, and I would take my scooter and just drive up into the flat irons. And like, at some points it was a little embarrassing because Boulder has a huge cyclist community and I'm like, Everyone would be biking up the flat irons, and I would be chugging along on my scooter, like maintaining conversation with these cyclists. Like, hey, how's it going? As we're going up the steep parts, asking them to the slow down. S- yeah, exactly. Because the scooter is going so absurdly slow, and I'm like, oh man, these guys are working, and I'm like, but uh, I mean, cruising at the slow speeds and just. That would help me. I would do that for hours. Anytime I felt like getting high or going and drinking, because um, you know I still my my friends could drink normally and not like ruin their lives. And I would still hang out with them. But sometimes it was hard, so I would go on these long scooter rides. And then, um, so the idea didn't necessarily spark just from that, but. Um, I also had one of my best friends, Tony, um, his name's Tony Seibert. He, he lived with me for a little bit on my couch and we would always, uh, talk about moving him and I were the only ones. Um, and another buddy blaze. We were the only three like left in college because everyone had graduated in a timely manner. And Tony and I were on year seven. Um, and after we graduated, we were going to move up to Alaska and um, just continue our life as ski bums. Um, We'd both done these um, big mountain competitions, and skiing was a huge part of both of our lives. Um, And so after we graduated, moving up to Alaska was one of the ideas that both of us had. And um, Tony passed away skiing in an avalanche on July 7th, or I mean January 7th, um, during Christmas break before we went back for our final semester. And um, that was pretty, obviously death is like difficult to deal with. And, um, you know, staying sober through that was only possible because of Tony. You know, I would go out to parties with him and people would be kind of confused why I wasn't drinking anymore. And Tony would be like, Robert's sober now. He is like three weeks sober, and he was so proud of me. Like, I was embarrassed to the fact, and Tony was here next to me bragging about the fact that I'm sober. And you know that was a huge, at three months sober, to have one of your best friends die and like not get high to 
kind of numb out. Um, right. that, that was what kept me going was the fact that he would brag about me being sober as I was kind of like a little skittish. I'm like, Hey, shut up, man. <laughs> but, um, so I remember like I was in February, there was, um, something called a startup weekend in Boulder, Colorado, which is, um, bunch of entrepreneur type minded people get together for one weekend form teams and um, work on these business ideas and hope to the goal by the end of the weekend to have is to have some business idea and a team form that you can continue working on afterwards and people pitch wild ideas at these events I don't know if you've ever been to one but I was at this one and this guy said, you should pitch your, an idea, any idea. And I was like, well, and Tony had just passed away. I don't know. Like, I want to, and I had, I don't know where the idea of like the scooter, like I had just, it was therapeutic driving the scooter along at such a slow pace that you don't have to pay any attention to the road at all. And you can take in all the scenery. And um, I had once been to Alaska prior with my dad and any skier knows like that's the destination for skiing everyone wants to go heli skiing in alaska and alaska is just badass in general and i'm i got up there and i pitched this idea of like i want to drive a scooter to alaska um, and somehow raise money in order to pay off student debt <laughs> um Oh, so that was, <laughs> that was the absurd idea. That was the, like, because you had 30 seconds to get up in front of a crowd and pitch an idea. So that was the idea I pitched. And it ended up like, getting voted on to like start a team around. And people came around me and were like, this is a, we'd like this idea. And I was like, this is the stupidest idea <laughs> ever. Who are you people? Like, yeah, exactly. And, and it, it didn't work. Like We didn't even focus on that idea for the weekend. I was like, no, this is absurd. You guys are absurd. I don't even want any part of my own idea. See ya. I'm starting a team with these people that have a viable idea. And um, But I, I had, after that weekend and starting to like mull it around, I was like, I could drive a scooter. I could totally drive a scooter to Alaska. The whole student loan thing that was just the business side of things but i remember writing in a journal and writing how i'm going to drive this scooter to alaska um and i had my buddy blake and my other buddy geo on board and those two were like the two few friends <laughs> that thought this was a good idea they didn't even necessarily think it was a good idea they kept asking why not a motorcycle <laughs> something a little faster maybe <laughs> And I was like, you don't get it, though. Like, we don't, like, and eventually they kind of fell out of the equation and it just became me. And I knew that I was still struggling in the sense with, I mean, I think it's the common human struggle to figure out after you're graduating college, what am I going to do now if you don't have a job set up? And um, I thought that the time on this trip is where I would figure out not only what am I going to do, but I also had a, a huge fear of being alone with myself. And I struggled with that forever. You know, if it's a Saturday and I want to go on a hike by myself, 
Like I will go through my phone book and call anybody <laughs> before I go on that hike by myself. And so I knew to overcome that, like a scooter, you're kind of stuck going 25 to 35 miles an hour. Like you can't get anywhere fast if you start like feeling lonely. And I knew that would fate, uh, make me deal with that fear. And so that was another part of the scooter trip. And then, yeah, that's pretty much those two, that, the combination of the t- wanting to move to Alaska and then it not really going to happen after Tony passing away. And um, it was pretty meditative driving a scooter um, long distance um, paired with the idea of being alone for three months and having nowhere to go to escape. Yeah. So it was more of a, to force yourself into solitude and, and work mm-hmm. through everything you needed to work through. I get that. Nice. <laughs> and that's difficult to explain in one go to some people and some people just look at you like, yeah, you're crazy. No, I think even people that aren't, you know, hung up on, on drugs or alcohol. I mean, that's a, that's a sole <laughs> benefit, you know, for anybody to be able to do something like that. I totally get mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And then I think from there, like I had a lot of pushback from uh, definitely my parents. My parents were number one fans of me not doing this trip and were hoping and praying anybody could talk me out of it. Yeah, you don't – and it, it made sense, mom and dad not wanting their son to go and drive an absurd distance on such a slow because you're in the shoulder of a road you are getting passed by semis and the chances of getting clipped by a car are pretty high and then of course everyone's like are you going to get eaten by bears in canada and all that stuff yeah but the reality is that slipping back into drugs and alcohol is uh, far more <laughs> serious and risky you know you think about it yeah riding a scooter on the side of the highway is nothing (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly and so i remember one time my dad would always ask these questions (laughs) like what if this happens what if that happens and i didn't want to say i don't know what i'm gonna do but finally i was like hey if you're gonna keep asking these questions i i'm not gonna talk about the trip anymore with you like if you're gonna be negative Let's not talk about it. Or we can you can talk about it if you're positive about the trip. And the next day he like he had bought this like traveling to Alaska via road, like a thirty-five dollar app on the phone and he was all about <laughs> it and he's like he's more excited than I am about the trip now and like it was a click. Like that was pretty cool to see. So he decides he wants to help you at this point. He's, uh, he's saying, well, if my son wants to do this, then I guess I'm going to kind of dive in and, and maybe help him work it out. Or at least just stop asking the what if scenarios because I had no answer to any of these. What if you break down? What if blah, blah, blah happens? So I, I don't have too much mechanical experience. I know how to replace a flat tire. And luckily, that was the only thing that happened the entire trip was one flat tire. Wow. And I, I knew how to patch it and later replaced it when I got to Portland, Oregon with my buddy Franco and his dad. So it it went smoothly. Yeah, it's actually very fortunate. (laughs) Yeah. 
Hey, we have a new sponsor on the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm excited about this one. I've been wondering for a long time when active technology was going to be incorporated with clothing to do cool things. And here's an example. This is Action Heat. Action Heat is a line of clothing that actually weaves heating elements into the clothes. It works similarly to how a car seat is heated except that it runs off a little rechargeable battery pack. And this battery pack can last up to 12 hours on a charge. It can also recharge your cell phone or other devices, so it's multi-purpose. And they have all kinds of options here. Hats, they have jackets, they have shirts, they have socks, they have gloves, they even have undergarments like long johns. Man, they will keep you cozy from head to toe. I can see using this motorcycle riding, riding up the lift at the ski area, watching a ball game. Anytime I need that little extra boost of heat, this stuff really fits the bill. So, Action Heat, you can get it at action-heat.com forward slash adventure. Please do use the forward slash adventure for two reasons. For one, that's how they know that you heard about them from us. For two, it saves you 15%. So how cool is that? Your holiday shopping is done. All you have to do is go to action-heat.com forward slash adventure. So how was the idea of of doing this to raise money um, mm. for the CRC and for the, the scholarship? Uh, how did that come about? Because you, I want to make it clear, you saved up the money that you needed to take the trip. So you did not get donations to have people pay you to take, a, take this trip. You paid it all out of your pocket, but got donations to raise the money. So how was that idea born? Right. So you're right. I saved up for the trip and then... The day I bought the scooter, I was in Eagle, Colorado. I remember it like it was yesterday. This this family that I had taught to te- or taught um, skiing to earlier that day dropped me off as they were going to the airport. They dropped me off at the scooter shop. I bought the scooter and was driving home on the scooter, stoked on life, and kind of shocked that this was actually going to happen. And I called the director of the recovery center at CU and um, I'd majored in entrepreneurship at CU or got a certificate. And that was always been a focus in my mind on small business. And I had played a Kickstarter. I had always been interested in different Kickstarter um, crowdfunding um, companies. And I thought, well, what if I, I knew that this, project would attract a lot of attention. So I called the director of the recovery center and asked her simply, what if I decided to raise a bunch of money and wanted to donate it to the recovery center? What would that look like? Her response was, you can um, start a scholarship for kids um, involved in the recovery center that are just like you. And from the moment she said that, I was sold on that idea and um it was april at this point so i had only had one month to 
kind of set up the whole crowdfunding scholarship and get the University of Colorado to approve it and hop on board. And um, and luckily they did. And and then I, and that, so that's how the idea to raise funds for, and start the scholarship came about. So you decided to go ahead and buy a Honda Ruckus, which is like we mentioned, a 50cc scooter. It's kind of a rugged mm-hmm. little thing. And set this thing up to go to Alaska. Now, a lot of people like we mentioned, would take this trip on a bigger motorcycle that would be uh, built. You know, the subframe is strong enough and it has uh, cases, panniers to carry stuff. But you've decided to pack all of your, your, your life for a few months onto a little bitty scooter. How did you end up um, loading this thing out to be able to survive for 4,600 miles on just a little tiny scooter? Yeah, so I... I got a big dry bag that's like look and stuffed it full at a sleeping bag, a tent, and not too many like the amount of gear that I chose for the trip was pretty minimal. I had to be pretty minimalistic and um what two backpacks and this massive dry bag that held everything else in it and envision it as though I have the scooter and then sitting just behind my back in the seat is was this little platform I had with a gas, and I brought an extra gas um, canister, but it's not it doesn't look like the normal um, gallon jug gas canisters. This one was about two and a half inches tall um, by eighteen inches wide by three feet in length, and I had that lying flat down atop this little mount just behind the seat. And then I had the dry bag that looks like a massive burrito, <laughs> about three feet tall, bright yellow, um, stuffed full, um, strapped on top of the gas can. And it doubled as something that I could kind of lean my back against and made the scooter a little bit wider. And my parents liked that because made me a little bit more noticeable. Right, right. Um, had some fluorescent tape put on there. So but not much see. other than that. You, uh, Yeah, I was wondering what that little platform was. Now that you say it was a gas can, it totally makes sense. But yeah, there's there's not much else on this thing. And that's what's amazing is you have uh, 4,600 miles to go in the, the most minimal uh, setup. I mean, we're almost talking bikepacking setup with what you took on the road with you. It's pretty incredible, actually. Yeah. It was one thing to boil water, and that's how I ate. Um, just different things. A jet boil is what I brought with me, and um, water purifying um, tools, and that's pretty much it. That, you know. <laughs> and a tomahawk that I didn't use once, and that was a pain in uh, the ass uh, to pack every single time. I was like, why do I have this awesome tomahawk? And I'm not using. <laughs> Why not? But, right? Why not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So you head out of Avon. Um, and the first thing you did was you went north up to Steamboat. And part of what you were doing on the road was talking to kids at schools. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So that was probably one of the most difficult parts of the trip was organizing with different schools and uh, juvie detention centers to let me come and talk to these kids to basically let them know that you can get young or sober young and you can still do fun 
crazy things while you're sober. For example, drive a scooter across the country to Alaska. Um, because that was a huge thing for me. Like, I didn't believe I, if you would have asked me, how do you have fun other than like, for me, <laughs> it's, it sounds silly now because most people can answer that question. But, you know, apart from drinking and smoking, it was pretty much embedded in every activity. So I just wanted to let kids know that you can still have fun and do crazy things if you have to stop drinking and getting high. And I started off by calling so many schools. I had a list of um, like 50 plus schools that I wanted to go and stop by along the way. And you can't really call a school and say, hey, uh, I used to be like an active drug addict and alcoholic, and now I'm driving a scooter across the country. Let me come and talk <laughs> to the, the kids. Doors. <laughs> They're like, what the hell? Like, make sure you do not come through the town. <laughs> um, so I, I had to change up basically the pitch that I gave these counselors or principals every like I finally molded it into something that was a little more in line with what they were expecting. I didn't tell them I was on a scooter because not many people, not any, nobody, there was never a reaction from someone when I told them, hey, I'm driving a scooter to Alaska. I think that's a great idea. Not one person said that ever. You know, like, <laughs> that's crazy, <laughs> you know, yeah, most people are like, that's ridiculous. Some people are like, that's crazy, that's really, really crazy, but it's awesome. <laughs> and, um, but, and so I just told him I was affiliated with the University of Colorado in their collegiate recovery center, and we're doing outreach to high school youth um, about addiction and recovery and letting them know about our program at this university and um, this resource and letting them know it exists at others if they're considering college. And that got me into some schools. Other schools were not so for it. Um, but it, it did start in Steamboat where luckily I was able to just go and kind of tell my story to kids, basically let them know. I think, you know, it's not up to me whether, and I don't really care if you go and drink and get high. Um, doesn't bug me one bit, but look, for me, it started causing problems and it didn't allow me to live the life I always wanted to live. And um, getting sober and being in recovery is an option for you, even though, because I never thought it was an option for me. And the feedback I got from these kids was pretty awesome. Um because there's the D.A.R.E. program that's like, don't drink and don't do drugs. And that's not what my message was at all. Um, it was like, I know you're going to do what you want to do, but there's another way that is pretty badass and cool um, if you see it causing problems in your life. And you have to get rid of it. No life is not over. So I was able to stop in Steamboat and talk to some schools as well as a juvie detention center in Utah. And then I got turned away from schools in Park City and other schools in Utah that, because I couldn't necessarily call a school and give them a date and time that I would be there. Right, right. It's pretty hard to like estimate. It's like several hundred miles on a scooter that goes 
25 miles to 35 miles an hour. And you're not into telling them that you're on the scooter anymore. So yeah, I know. <laughs> they're saying, how come like, you don't have do a better think... itinerary? Than that? Yeah. When do you think you can get here? Oh, well, you know, um, uh, I don't really know where I'm camping tomorrow night. Uh, <laughs> and if it's going to rain, I might have to put, they're, they're not so into that. And I remember it was a Wednesday night and, or it was Thursday morning. I woke up in Nevada off of highway 50, like the loneliest road. And, um, I knew Tahoe was the next stop. And I had, um, one of my good friends, Caitlin, she opened her house to me in Tahoe. Um, and I wanted to sleep in a bed. And I also knew that the high school in Tahoe like if I get there Thursday, maybe I can introduce myself and talk to the principal and he'll let me come and talk Friday. That was my goal. And so I took off Thursday or I mean Wednesday. Yeah, it was Wednesday morning. I took off and I drove 18 hours straight. It took that long. That was not I thought I was going to get there much quicker, but it took 18 hours to get to Tahoe through rain and it was snowing. And it was miserable. And I finally showed up at like four in the morning to Tahoe and I had left messages with this principal at I think it was South Tahoe High School and letting him know I was going to stop and to see if I could just chat with um, any high schoolers um, so the next morning after two hours of sleep I woke up to drive around the lake I'd never been to Tahoe before I didn't realize like, Tahoe's pretty big and from the north side to the south side um, I just hopped it was a pretty day out i hopped on the scooter and started driving to the high school and i didn't think i didn't have my rain gear with me and it just started pouring rain and um so i show up to the school soaking wet and the way the water built up it kind of looked like i had just pissed myself completely <laughs> and here i am Going to meet with the principal. And like, Let me to the students, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he was the man. He was actually, he was really cool. He saw me right away. And that's, you know, I kind of told him what's going on, expecting him to say, yeah, come back tomorrow. And he's like, oh, cool. Yeah, there's a class right now. Let me make sure you can talk to them. And I was like, great. Soaking wet. Look like I pissed myself. Like, they're kids are gonna just and right when i walked in like everyone's just laughing like and that was the first question like did you pee yourself on the way over here I'm like, no <laughs> don't do drugs kids <laughs> <laughs> this is how you'll turn out <laughs> exactly that's hilarious no but it was cool to to chat with them and that was uh was that the 355 mile leg um there was two of them okay that were that long there was wow. another one that I did in Alaska that was equally as long. That is, I can't even imagine. I mean, I ride motorcycles and, mm -hmm. you know, 355 miles on one of my big motorcycles is, I mean, it's a normal day ride, you know, it's no record setting thing, but you're, you're going to spend the majority of the day doing that, you know, on a big motorcycle. So when I saw that, I cannot even imagine doing 350 miles in one leg on a Honda Ruckus. I mean, that's pretty impressive for you to do that and then do it a couple of times in this trip. Yeah, it was not a highlight of the trip by any means. Your, your mind starts to wander a lot too at like hour 12. You're like, what am I doing? This is crazy. And 
you know how sore you get from just sitting on Oof. a bike for that long. Right. Um, and But plenty of Red Bull, and I would, I'm going on a scooter, so, and I'm so slow, so I would just kind of get bored and start swerving around <laughs> or see how long I could go with my hands off. That was, like, the big thing, just, like, counting how long I could go with no hands on the bars. And, like, yeah, my mom, I'm sure, wouldn't be stoked to know that. <laughs> no, I don't tell that story to your mom. Well, I imagine 4,600 miles worth of scooter riding. You have to do something to amuse yourself. Yes, yes. Hey friends, it's really been fun the last couple of weeks watching the early season snow start to blanket the high peaks. Winter is on the way. Bentgate Mountaineering is ready to help get you prepared for your epic winter. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Never Summer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear so you can get your skis and your boots there as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear as well as to get updates on all of their events. While doing your holiday shopping this season, why don't you drop by our site at 180tech.com and pick up a camp stove for the adventurer on your list. The 180 Stove, 180 Flame, and Bearline Plus are all made right here in Colorado and sure to make your loved one a happy camper. It's a great excuse to treat yourself to something special as well. Visit us at www.180tack.com. So the route, um, like we said, we left. You left Avon. You went up to Steamboat, and then you cut over across uh, through Nevada over to um, the Pacific Coast, and then you went all the way up the Pacific Coast into Canada. So, tell me a story from from this trip that was pretty comical, other than peeing your pants. Um, I imagine something. Do you have uh, police stories or animal stories? Yeah, I uh, got the whole time. I got pulled over several times by 10 different cops um <laughs> like it was non-stop and every one of these cops i swear they all their jokes were dumb and dumber jokes they would like come <laughs> up and drop some dumb and dumber joke on me all the time but got a little nippy coming over the pass eh yeah exactly yeah i know it and i'm like yep yeah. and um usually they were not stoked like when they saw me like they were ready to bust me or something. Because one time I was just swerving back and forth. And the guy's like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I'm on Highway 50 in Nevada going maybe 30 miles an hour, extremely bored. What else do you want me to do? <laughs> and, um, and then I had got pulled over again. Um, it was mostly getting pulled over with 
because I didn't have any license plates on for under uh, like 50 cc's and under you don't need a, a license plate in the state of Colorado and but in California and other states you do need a license plate. I wondered about that if you had checked the the laws in other states because I knew that was a law here but I wasn't sure if uh, if you had reciprocity or or how they treated that if you're over the border yeah the way it works is you do have to have a motorcycle license in other states technically but no cop knows that rule at all like every police officer that pulled me over not once was there mention of needing a motorcycle license and um they always at i could have told them it's allowed in colorado and they would have let me go which was pretty sweet but getting into the border was kind of difficult um, from being from Colorado with the whole weed deal. Right. Um, up in Canada, you mean? Up in Canada, yeah. So I remember pulling into the border. I had a GoPro on top of my helmet, and they were not stoked about me filming them. <laughs> so immediately asked me to stop filming. And I, I, they asked me to come inside and I had also asked, like, where can I exchange um, this American money? Because, I, of course, I lost my debit card. And right as I was going into Canada a few days prior. So all I have is cash now. And I needed to exchange it or whatever. And I asked them where I could go. And they're like, oh, just come inside. I'm like, oh, sweet. And I come inside. And I'm, like, thinking they're going to help me exchange these bills. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, they're nice, nice. And this lady, like the epitome of like a the bad cop, right? Not stoked. And she's asking me all about my trip. Yeah, but I just need to exchange these bills. You don't understand. And she's like, "We are not a bank. You are here because you're not being allowed into the border." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" And she, they wanted to search my bag, and I had a bunch of fireworks in my bag. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow man <laughs> you give yourself every opportunity don't you <laughs> because I was like when you come back and people are like why do you have fireworks why do you have fireworks well I can't carry a gun across the border um, and then you can't carry fireworks but they'll just throw the fireworks away if there's a bear after I go hiking <laughs> like I for one instance I had to use the fireworks I was in California and I could hear these mountain lions at night close to my tent near Redding, California, just going back and forth. And like, I just started shooting off different bottle rockets and other firecrackers. And that was, like, I have a knife, a tomahawk, and some bottle rockets, and that's what was going to keep me safe. Dude, I got to <laughs> give you hope... credit on that one, though. I mean, that it sounds funny when you say it, but I can't say I've ever thought about firecrackers to uh, to ward off the wildlife. <laughs> yeah, it that's works not better bad thinking. than anything. <laughs> that's hilarious yeah and so like every hike i went on always had firecrackers all right Um, all right interesting i'm pretty into wildlife and understand like that is a definite amazing tip like if you can't carry a gun carry a flare (laughs) or some firecrackers all right um so how did the uh the border patrol did they end up searching your bag no they wanted to search it because they i was from colorado and who the hell drives a scooter if they're not stoned and at least this far they thought and um i was luckily able to just 
have this lady watch the video in this crowdfunding campaign I had for the scholarship. Mm. I convinced her, it's like, please go to this website and watch this and understand I am not high right now. <laughs> um, and you don't need to search my bag for weed. And after she watched that, she sent me on my way and um, I drove from there. It was, I was kind of rushed. It was getting dark. I was like, can you just please let me go? I need to find somewhere to camp before dark. And that was another red flag. Do not tell the Border Patrol you're just going to find somewhere to camp because <laughs> they are not down with that. No. So I drove through Vancouver, and it was pitch black, and I found this place to camp. It was by, um, I forget, I think it's Horseshoe Bay, but I'm not 100% sure, just a little north of Vancouver on the way to Whistler. And I pulled into this park, and I thought I like, set up my tent and everything in in behind in these trees. I thought I was tucked away pretty well. And then it gets light really early in Canada during the summer, and I woke up and it was already light, and there was like families walking their dogs, and I was just in. I was right next to a playground in this <laughs> park. <laughs> Uh, I get out of the tent and there's just like families playing with their dogs all around looking at me like, what the hell is this guy doing here? And <laughs> I like, got a scooter, the scooter. parked on the one. <laughs> I'm like, oh man. Did you shoot any fireworks at him just to get rid no, of No, I should have. <laughs> I would keep have. the kids from like yapping that oh, early in the morning. So you think you're all tucked away doing some, uh, some boondocking and turns out you're in the middle of a park with swing sets and stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, so you head up through Canada with your fireworks, and you you finally get to where you can cross on the ferry, and then over to uh, to the state of Alaska. Um, you met some a bunch of kids on that ferry that I read about. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. Um, that was pretty awesome. I, it was after being in a lot or in Canada for a couple weeks now um, by myself, and I decided to take a ferry from Prince Rupert. British Columbia up to Haines, Alaska. And I hopped on the ferry and ended up there's you could rent a room in the ferry or you could just camp on the deck up high up top with whoever. And it ended up being a group of thirty plus kids on their summer camp up on the deck, camping on lawn chairs underneath the stars with me. <laughs> and um it was definitely, at this point, the trip was becoming pretty difficult. Um, not necessarily what I had expected it to be. Um, I expected it to kind of rejuvenate me, um, help me figure out what's to come next in my life. And instead, it was a lot of isolation and a lot of dread and worry about what's going to come next in my life. Um, and I wasn't... It wasn't in the best headspace. Uh, that's uh, the way to put it. And um, I wasn't stoked about the trip anymore. It was a burden. And it was kind of like everyone back home is proud of me. But that didn't make an ounce of difference. Like I was telling myself, all your friends have graduated and they have jobs and they're moving on with their life. You know, a lot of comparing. And here you are on a scooter in the middle of Canada, like, what the hell are you doing, man? Get your life together. That was kind of these 
voices of negativity going on in my head. And when I I got on this ferry, at, like, that was my train of thought before I got on the ferry. Ferry, really rough down. What's the point? This is a complete waste of time, and I'm kind of scared for what the future had to hold. And so I then got on the ferry and got to hang out for three days with all these amazing kids that just brought a simplicity of life back into um, my head. And I was able to chat it up with them. And, you know, I'm a pretty avid like child at heart. Like a lot of like, easy, stupid humor gets me going and I'm just can really connect with kids. And, you know, they helped bring me back up. And um, so three days of nonstop drinking Mountain Dew and running around the ferry, like they almost got kicked off the ferry several times, their whole group, <laughs> because like I get it. Like they're kids and they cause nonsense. And uh, I was right there along with them. Um, but not all the other customers on the ferry were stoked to have like 30, 15 year olds running around like maniacs. Like three days definitely, of this, awesome. Yeah. And, and that was my viewpoint too. I was like, great. I'm on top of this ferry sleeping on a lawn chair next to 30 kids. This is going to suck. <laughs> like That's what I thought. And it changed everything. Like I got off. Well, it didn't change everything, but like it definitely helped a lot. And um, I actually ended up connecting with them later in the trip again, you know, um, about a month later in Anchorage. I ran, they were at a baseball game and I had coordinated with the, the camp counselors that I would surprise all the kids um, at a baseball game in Anchorage and showed up to the baseball game and and surprised the kids, and they were all in shock to see me a month later because they thought they'd probably never see me again. But it was really special. I got to go on there because they were driving a tour bus from Michigan to Alaska and back, and I got to go on their bus and just share my story with all of them that night. And it was it was extremely powerful for me, at least. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah. So what was uh, like the one time that – you just had this kind of this revelation along the trip, like the, the most impactful realization mm. during this whole time. You want to know what that moment or circumstances were? Yeah. Yeah. What was that? What was it like? I mean, what was the, what was the <laughs> moment and what was going on in your head? Um, yeah, I know that moment extremely fondly and um, it's, it's really close to my heart because it not only changed it didn't only change the trip, but it, it definitely changed my life. And it, um, I got to Haines, Alaska off this ferry. And Haines, Alaska is where they have the world championships for the free ride world tour, which is a big mountain skiing competition. Mm -hmm. And that's something I did. And I, I really was looking forward to get to Haines and just see the mountains because that's and I get off the ferry, and it's pouring rain, and mountains are socked in with clouds. You can't see anything. And I look at the weather for the next few days, and it's rain, rain, clouds, clouds, just garbage. And three days prior, my morale was extremely low, and I, uh, I wanted to throw in the towel in so many different ways on this trip 
on everything just give up and shut the world out and um i so the kids brought me back up on the ferry i get off the ferry and my head goes right back to this sucks what is the point and i remember uh, i remember i called sam from the recovery center and i was really upset in tears and you know i was 18 months sober at this point and thought i had or i was 20 months sober at this point and thought i had it all figured out and i was really confused why i was feeling this miserable while i am literally living my dream i'm on my dream trip i'm in the middle of alaska and um i'm telling her I don't understand what's going on. Like, I just want to be happy. And I thought this would make me happy and I'm not happy. And I also told her, like, I think I just need to to learn how to love myself. That's what I told her. That's the problem. I don't know how to do that. And she suggested I go to, um, like, a 12-step meeting and asked if they have those in Haines, Alaska. And I was like, that's the last place I want to be right now, actually. <laughs> um, and they did, and I went to one of those meetings where I met this guy named Joe. And this was the first time I had shared openly at a meeting um, how I was feeling. You know, the way I was feeling was like, I don't understand what's going on. I'm living my dream, and I've never been more miserable in my life. I don't know why. And I'm. 20 months sober, and I remember being told by a therapist that at 18 months sober, you start feeling much better, and that was, I'd never felt worse, and so I was just waiting for something to happen, and this guy, Joe, asks me, (laughs) he asks me, he comes up to me after this meeting and tells me that he's felt the same way, and um, he asks if I had ever, like, done the work of these 12 steps, been through them with anybody. And I said, no, I I don't really have time for that. Um, I'm trying to figure my life out right now. And yeah, his response to that was like, oh, well, do you want to go through them with me? And I said, absolutely not. And he replied to that with, do you have to be somewhere? And I was like, yeah, well, uh, wallowing in my own sorrow, like in the woods right now is like where I wanted to be, just isolating or with no one around and that may sound strange but you know that's that's just where I go when I'm in a bad place I, I want to be shut off from the world and I don't want anybody to know right like, that I feel like don't ask me I just want to be alone and so I told Joe no thank you but thank you <laughs> and this lady came up to me after the meeting and she told oh, what did she it was raining and she offered me a place to stay. She had an old Airstream trailer parked in her front yard and she said I could crash in that for as long as I wanted to. And I was like, sweet, I don't have to pitch a tent in the rain, which is by far the worst experience. Taking a tent down in the rain is actually worse. It's worse, yeah, you're right. <laughs> second is putting it up. Um, and um, so I say yes and I take her up and I immediately drive to her place and i'm telling her this weird guy joe from the meeting wants to to take me through these steps and her reply to that was that sounds great 
I was like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and she asked, well, do you have to, you, she said I should do it. And I said, no. And she's like, well, do you have to be somewhere? And I was like, right when she said that, it was like <laughs> a sign from something, you know? And I was like, all right, maybe I'll call this guy Joe. And I went and met with Joe and he was on vacation from Seattle for the next six days with his family. And he offered to hang out with me every day and take me through these steps. And, you know, those six days of spending the time and doing all this work that was suggested and just following Joe's direction, um, it changed my life. And that that's that's the moment. Like, it wasn't like a moment, but it was through that set of circumstances and in those six days that I spent with Joe that was the turning point where then I started going on like a different trajectory and I left Haynes feeling like so high and happy, like something that I hadn't felt like pretty much the entire trip since wow. the first day of leaving Vail. Yeah, I that's remember. huge. You know, so that's that moment. Huh. The realization. Well, it sounds like it was meant to be that that layover in uh, in Haynes. It sounds like it pretty much changed your life at that point. Yeah. And the coincidences, like the amount of coincidences that had to happen for that to line up are pretty absurd because I wasn't supposed to be on that ferry in the first place. Um, I was supposed to be on one that got in three days later. The whole meeting that I went to, it only happens every other day in Haines. Joe had just gotten off a flight in, from Seattle. I could list uh, like a million more um, that made it work out for oh, him. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. even all the way back to the, uh, you know, you said the CRC had just been built three weeks prior to you entering it. And, you know, had yeah. that not been ready for you, things could be completely different. Yeah, that's very true. Wow. So you've been sober now, what's this, three years now? Yep. Oh, good yeah, for you, man. Congratulations. It's, Thank uh, you. Obviously I you know, I, I don't know what it's like, but I have to, to think that it's gonna it's gonna be, you know, near impossible to do. So I know that's a huge uh, achievement that you've done. So definitely congratulations on that. And I hope the the story that you're telling uh basically gets into some ears of people that might need to hear it, you know, to realize that there's other stuff out there and there's uh you just got to find your reason to quit and, uh, and follow those steps and follow it through and find some help where, uh, where help is. Yeah, exactly. And it's different for everybody, but just knowing it's out there is pretty cool in itself. Yeah, absolutely. So now back to the reason you did the ride, which, you know, allows us to circle back to that. Your point was to make sure that people understood that it was out there. It wasn't so much to run around the country and, tell people don't don't drink don't do drugs it was more that look you know if if you do find yourself in this situation just realize that you're not alone you're not lost there are places um especially you know, with your message there are places for for students and college kids that you can turn to and uh your point was to bring uh shed a light on uh, the collegiate recovery center uh in your situation exactly so you raised, uh, if I have this right, $24,685? Yeah, and there was additional donations afterwards from over 200 people that raised 
um, over $25,000. Wow. That was the final numbers. Yeah. That is cool. Very cool. And one of the things that I was reading, one of the things you were, you were also raising money for was for a second chance scholarship. Tell me a little bit about that. So that scholarship was, is, and actually we just gave away the first scholarships um, to the recipients this spring, uh, 2017 semester at University of Colorado um, and that is for anybody who's involved in this recovery center on campus and let me set this straight like the recovery center on campus is a room <laughs> um, that has some couches some chairs in it uh, and some tables for you to do homework at but it's there for students to come in at any point during their day before class, after class, and meet other students that are in their same circumstances or going through similar things. And there's different, they have different activities going on to bring kids closer together or just to have fun at, you know, and um, it's a pretty cool place. And that's, that's where so the scholarships for kids that are involved in that community on campus, and um, they're usually, to get the scholarship, you have to be a pretty like, big member of the community and willing to um, to help out and help, basically help other students that are going through similar things and share what was given to them. Okay. Yeah. And so what does the scholarship do for them? How does it help out? Is it scholarship for education or to take care of of some bills as they're going through this? Or Yeah, so we decided to leave that open to each individual student to choose how they're going to um, have the funds directed, whether that's towards tuition or towards rent or um, whatever they have going on in their life. Just to lend them a, a helping hand as they're exactly. pursuing. Yeah support because there's a lot of non-traditional students we the like regular college kid is 18 to 21 22 and we have a lot of students that had to go to rehab or had to take time off like myself i was a seventh year senior and that was um that place uh, so the scholarship is in place for them um in, in the sense of the non-traditional student where they may have other bills that they have to pay. And a lot of them are working as they're going through school. So if we're able to provide a scholarship for them to be able to work less and spend more time on campus at this recovery center and become part of the community, a bigger part, that is our main focus. Okay. Well, awesome. And uh, man, I would assume there's other centers like this all around the the country. Uh, they're doing this at other campuses. So bringing some awareness to those too at the same time is a good thing. Yeah, we actually just had a pretty big event uh, at the beginning of February up in Keystone, Colorado, and it was a skiathon and leadership conference where over 200 students from across. 24 different universities, different recovery centers at different colleges came and participated in, which ended up being the largest gathering of students in recovery um, ever wow. to take place. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely 
becoming more and more common. And there's definitely some challenges that recovery centers are facing with the stigma of alcoholics and drug addicts on college campuses. Um, A lot of schools don't necessarily want to say or be open to the idea of a collegiate recovery center on their campus because then that's them admitting they have a problem. Right. But in reality, at every if we had these centers at every college across the country, the retention rates at these schools would be so much greater because then these students that are struggling, and there are students at every school that are struggling, whether that's from drugs or alcohol or eating disorders or anxiety and depression, trauma, I could go on and on. But every school has someone that fits that profile. And if we're able to provide a resource for them to get help at, or at least meet other people that will direct them to where they can get help, then they can also do what they're there for, focus on school with less stress and anxiety. Yeah. And I think that is, that's the quote unquote fight that's being fought right now is to try to get administration and people to look at it a little differently that this will actually help keep students in school. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you said something that really, uh, you know, rang or struck a chord with me is, uh, it seemed like the, the biggest realization you had early on in this whole process was that you thought going to college was just a matter of getting drunk and partying. I mean, obviously getting school out of the way, but that that's how everybody treated college. And it was just kind of like status quo with that. But for you to finally realize that that wasn't necessarily the case and that there were other people uh, going to school with you that were in the same boat as you and you weren't alone in that situation. Um, yeah, that made a, that made a big impression on me. And for what you're doing now, you're actually bringing attention to that to let people know that there are other people in that situation right alongside them and they need to seek them out. Yeah, very much so. And another thing that it took me a while to learn, but in this process was I had my friends that I built relationships with either from growing up in Vail with or um, meeting in Boulder. And the more majority of them did party. And, um, you know, at first it was kind of two, I had sober friends and then I had my other friends that I partied with. And, you know, it, was, it took time, but not making those two groups so separate and understanding that they're not only my sober friends, they're actually like true friends that I can go to, not only to talk about sober stuff, but we can do fun things with each other. That was a huge, a huge step for me. And to, to, and where I met those friends was at this recovery center, you know, where it made this transition from just, oh, these are my friends that don't drink too. These are my friends. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. That's big. Definitely. Okay, before we wrap up, where can people go to find out more information about CRC or is there a, a more general site um, that some people might want to go find? Yeah, so the University of Colorado has um, their Collegiate Recovery Center. You can just type in Collegiate Recovery Center on um, University of Colorado's page and it'll bring you directly towards their different resources. Um, they have any, everything from housing options to bowling on Friday night or other fun activities that they do together. And then if you're not in Colorado um, and you just want to find out if 
different colleges um, in your area have these centers. There's something called the Association for Recovery and Higher Education, A-R-H-E, and that is the basically umbrella association that all these schools are under. And I'm not 100% sure because I don't work for this company, um, our institution more so, but um, that is, that's, I think, the go-to place in um, collegiate recovery to find out a little more information. And it, I can, I'm happy to give you my contact information if you have show notes or anything like that. Um, I'm more than willing to put my information in here and I could help anyone who's interested as well. Okay. Yeah, let's do that for sure. I'll catch that after the after the interview and we'll get that all posted up in the show notes. I also wanted to point people to your your blog from this road trip. Uh, it's an interesting read. It's uh, com, and it's uh, ruckus, R-U-C-K-U-S. So check that out if uh, if you want to kind of follow along uh, his trip, how it all came about and see some uh, some good writing and some great photos from uh, from this little scooter going 4,600 miles up to Alaska. Yeah. Very cool. Fun read. All right, Robert, man, it was, uh, it was great to talk to you. I love that uh, you gave me some time to, to bring this, uh, shed a little light on this situation and, uh, and share your tale. And uh, hopefully maybe we've uh, helped a few other people uh, maybe break out and, and go seek some help themselves. Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate you giving me the chance to, to share my story. I'm just one of a million cool stories out there. So I'm excited to hear how the rest come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. It's been my pleasure. You have a good night, Robert. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you guys are having a great Thanksgiving with your family and friends. On Monday's episode, we'll have Frank and Brittany Kinsella back on to talk a little bit about backcountry skiing. Until then, visit our Patreon page, become a patron, and get out and have some fun.